Now, where are you at now? Because you're like right down by Hamburger Mary's. Right I'm right by Hamburger Mary's. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm telling you. I'm, if I could, I'm geared like, up for the winter, though. You know, it's like it kicked my ass last year, so I'm just making certain that I can. Well, this will be because, like, technically, theoretically, this is gonna be my last holiday in Chicago because I'm moving to LA next year. Um, really? Yeah, in September. September. End of or beginning of September or first okay. of October. I just think that it's the right move for me. A lot of people are doing it at this time right now. Um, you know, I've been three other friends of mine who I think are just so, like, charismatic, and they're just happy to move to LA. I think I'm sort of partial because I moved from LA after being there for nearly fourteen years. See, and, and I've been here for it's a big eye you know, over a decade, so it's yeah. like. Um, I feel like Chicago is a beautiful town, and I feel like it's been really good to me, but I think that I need to see if there's other things out there. Sure. And if I can have the Tony Soto show up and running, and doing well, and then go out there, and then hopefully, I mean, I don't know what one does to become a television talk show host, but I'm going to have to figure that out, because I would like to Mm -hmm. go in the way of, like, you know, Ellen or... Oprah and have like my own. Well, I think you've already got the right mentality in it. Or we should talk about yeah, this during the thing. Yeah, yeah, already? Yeah, all right. Are we launching it off? Yes. Okay. We are recording audio. Audio is recording. I don't, I'm, I don't want this pin. I'm going to give this video. back to you. I'm not going to use this. You're not going to use this? I'm just going to give it away. Right over here. And everything is going well. Okay. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the premiere episode of the Tony Soto Show. Yeah. I no, am... No, I want Levi doing that. Uh-huh. He's the interviewer. Oh, but I said I'd do the opening. Why? Because I said I would do the opening. Why? Because I'm going to explain why Levi's here. Let's try it both ways. Let's try it both ways. Okay. And take the one that you like. You do this one first, so I can hear what you're doing, and okay. then I'm gonna, right. then I'm going to try to introduce you to because I want. I, ideally, it'd be great to have a reveal. Okay, that's you know? fine. That's fine. Let's give Tony Soto the reveal. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the Tony Soto Show. I am a Tony Soto, and I have my own show. Um, and I am sitting here with Levi Kreis. We might know him from past interviews I've done um, from other venues. And the last interview that I did with Levi, he said that the next time we meet, that he wanted to interview me. So I thought, what better person to do my premiere episode of the Tony Soto Show but Levi Christ and to be interviewed by him. And here we are. And here we are. I'm so excited. This is my first venture out as an interviewer. I know. Look at you. Are you nervous? I, I'm, I'm, well, I'm terribly nervous. I have no idea what's going to happen or what's going on. Um, and uh, that's going to make it interesting and entertaining, right? Well, I thought it was so interesting because you have done so much with your past creative ventures to, to give exposure to LGBT artists and... Uh, our community uh, with all all venues of creativity. Well, how many times did I interview you? Twice. Yeah, twice. Maybe three no, times. No, three times three because times. one was on the street, like impromptu, right? Yes, it was. It was. So I think that it's just appropriate for people to get to know you a little bit, especially being that this is the premiere episode of the Tony Soto Show, and you're so generous to be able to bring a lot of information to the world with our LGBT community members. So I sure I am. think that you deserve your own. I sure do. So you're in the hot seat now, right? Oh my God. And it literally is. <laughs> I'm sweating right now because it was funny. 
um, because you had sent an email uh, to my good friend Lucy um, and was and was asking her certain things to help you with this interview. And I, I was all sorts of ammunition. I was in the room when she was responding to your email, and I'm really nervous about today. <laughs> well, why don't we start from the very beginning? Because sure. I know that there's this is the first time that a lot of people are going to be able to 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 learn uh, just the basics even about who you are. I well, mean, so where are you from? Well, I am originally from uh, Central Illinois, a town called Clinton. Okay. Um, we have a nuclear power plant. Uh, that's our claim to fame, and a lot of women kill their babies there. <laughs> now, I thought this was interesting. Do you know that my hometown is Clinton? It is. Tennessee, and we have a nuclear power plant. <laughs> what? That my mother worked at, except it's near, nearby Oak Ridge, Tennessee, where they made the atomic bomb. So I thought it was very interesting. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure somebody, some redneck is drowned in, in the <laughs> nearby water, I'm sure. I'm sure we, I mean, I don't think that... Uh, our nuclear power plant at one point was on the verge of like breaking down, and it, the town could have disappeared at any moment. So awesome. Awesome. Well, give me some of your uh, your cultural background. Um, tell me about your mother and father. Well, um, my mother was born and raised in Clinton, Illinois, as well. Uh, okay. My father is jump the fence Mexican. Uh, he is from Guadalajara, Mexico. How did he get here? Uh, he jumped the fence. Okay, <laughs> he sure did. Okay. Uh, he. Um, it's funny because my father and I are very similar in the aspects of like we were not very happy where we were born and raised. So like he he escaped as quickly as he possibly could. So uh, he snuck into the United States. Then he, for some reason, traveled to Illinois. Illinois is like a beacon for illegal Mexicans or at least was in the, <laughs> in the early 70s. Um, and then it, he actually met my mother um, at a factory they both worked at where they made molds for China faces. It's called, they called it the pottery. I'm not really sure if that's Imperial China is what, okay. the, is what the company was called. And, um, he met my mother and they went on their first couple of dates with an interpreter because they didn't, he didn't speak any English. Because your mother is of Irish descent. Yeah. And she, she didn't speak any Spanish and he didn't speak any English. So, uh, they had an interpreter there on like their first couple of dates. Which... What was their relationship like? I did, um... You know, it, it, I'm, it's funny because I was just having this conversation recently. It wasn't the most intimate of relationships. Like I don't ever remember seeing my, my parents like engage in intimacy, like, you know, kissing or hugging or anything like that. Um, there was a lot of time where I thought it was like a marriage of convenience uh, because obviously my father needed uh, a screen card and uh, my mother apparently needed to have babies. I'm not really sure. <laughs> so. Um, and she had three. She had three. You're the middle. I'm the middle. Middle child. And I am a stereotypical middle child. I did a lot of really awful things and acted out really badly. What was your family dynamic like growing up? Because you have been, uh, you, I, I do recall you saying something to the point of, your uh, your parents eventually divorced after nineteen and, and a half they years, were yeah. both crazy and not cute crazy no crazy like crazy, crazy. okay yeah. so tell us a little bit about what well, family dynamic you you grew up in the family dynamic it was funny because like my father was very aggressive and very Latino and it was um it's very uh what what is that spare the spare spare the, the rod spoil the child that's that's yeah. what it is and so like. He never spared the rod, basically, okay. and um, and and my mother was uh, 
absent a lot of the time. You know, she worked opposite shift. Like, she worked the 3 to 11 shift, and then my father worked the day shift. So they never really crossed paths all that much. So it was us, it was my siblings, and my dad, like, a majority of the time. And so that could get really, really scary at times because he wasn't always the nicest man. And I was the kid that couldn't really keep my mouth shut. (laughs) And so I was the one that was kind of like getting most of the discipline because I would constantly act up and act out. And um, my siblings were smarter than I was back then. They They knew when to stop. Yeah, they knew when to be quiet. But they also knew when to point the finger. And so (laughs) to take the... I always find uh, find it interesting to learn about... um, gay men in their relationships with their fathers um how did he treat you and 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 what was the, how did that dynamic perhaps inform your teen years i never was really in the closet per se when i mean did you come out i i came out to i was always someone who put more into relationships with friends than i was with my family um so I was out to my friends at like 12 years old. Like wow. as soon as I knew there was That's a name so for it. Yeah. yeah. As soon as I knew there was a name for it, I was like, this is me. That's who I am. So um, you landed at an early age. Yeah. And sort of embraced who you were and found yourself rather comfortable in your own skin even before you really hit your teen years. Yeah. I mean, at least comfortable with the idea of admitting who I was. I mean, I'm not okay. sure if uh, I was comfortable in my skin at that time, but I mean, I knew that that was me and that was who I was and um, I didn't see that there was a reason not to be honest about it. You sure. know what I mean? Sure. Uh, regarding my relationship with my father and this is where <laughs> this is where it could get me in trouble. I I always felt like my father was was a homosexual. Okay. Um, and when I came out to him, I came out to him in a really grandiose way. <laughs> like he he had had the affair with my mother. Like I waited. Like let me tell you, denial is not just a ri- river in Egypt. Like I came out at twelve. Like he had an affair with your mother. He had an affair on my mother. Okay, an affair on your mother. Yeah, and so like at twelve, I came out to my friends. I didn't come out to my family until I was like sixteen years. So that's a long gap for them to okay. like try to play stupid and to keep their heads in the ground, which sure. is basically what they were doing. Sure. So when I came out to my father, it was after um, we had found out about his affair. Okay. And the divorce happened. And um, way to pile it on there, Tony. Way to just add it on. <laughs> and so I told him that I, in like a really public way at uh, his restaurant that he owned. Um, with his brother and sister. His friends, I imagine. In front of a really crowded restaurant oh, full wow. of people. Wow. And I told him that I was a queer. And then I stormed out. And then when we actually had a conversation about it again, all that he came to was, was you know, it's a sin. You know, it's a sin. You know, it's a sin. And, I, and when he kept telling me, you know, it's a sin. You know, it's a sin. I was like, I thought to myself, I'm like, who are you telling? Who are you trying to convince right now? Are you talking to yourself? Yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, I mean, I, I think that I think that Dad always wanted me to be a lot manlier than I was, and I was okay. never really that guy for him. So, I mean, I felt like 
I was a I was a reminder to him of maybe things that he was going through and dealing with, as well as um, a pain because he didn't want that for a son. He wanted, uh, I think he wanted a hyper-masculine, aggressive Latino guy, and he managed to get a fabulous queen for a son. And probably one of the biggest (laughs) blessings they ever know. Now, I'm sure you... um, perhaps explored your sexuality at an earlier age than a lot of us. Um, oh, when yeah. did you have your first sexual experience? Oh, if you my don't mind talking God. about uh, And how like, was that for like, you how are as we a talking? young gay teen? Like, how are we talking? Because, I mean, I was very handsy as a child. <laughs> <laughs> as early as you're comfortable revealing. I mean, I think that I think the first time I remember ever feeling intimate, like having an intimate moment with a guy was probably, you know, uh birthday sleepovers at like you know eight eight or nine years old like i mean i don't have much of a memory from years of drug use but like i remember being at a a sleepover party and like you know having that playful touching at nighttime when people are when everyone else is asleep but it wasn't until i don't think i had sex sex until i was 12 years old yeah. Until you were 12. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I had sex was with a woman. And then... At 12 years and old. And then immediately after that, I had I had sex with a man. And uh, that was... And then I was like, oh. Hold it. we got to restart. It only records for up to 12 minutes, and then it stops. So... Okay. Just stopped. Um, start with the uh, first time you had sex was with a woman. Okay. And... The first time I had sex was with a woman. And, uh, then I, and I, with a woman, I, yeah. And I remember, I remember when I was having sex with a woman that I was like, this is not any fun. At 12 years old. At 12. Now, was this one of your classmates' mothers? No. <laughs> I mean, how did this, how did this really come about? Did no, you need a better grade? This so, was, this so was a classmate. teacher. This was a classmate. See, the thing is, it's like in Clinton, Illinois, people, there's not much going on in Clinton, Illinois. Okay. There's okay. just not anything going on so it's like you either have sex or you find religion you know okay. it's, it's like it's, it's all up in the air on what you choose to do so but that was my first sexual encounter with a woman and then following that I was like I don't think that this is for me so then I started actively pursuing having sex with a man and luckily you know, that happened really shortly after the first time with a woman. Yeah, 12 years old. <laughs> Guys your age? Or more like no. their fathers? Or both? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say yes. Okay. Can I just say yes on that? Okay. That'd, be, uh, that'd be good. Okay. Uh, the thing is, is like, we had no business doing what we were doing. I had no idea, like, what I was doing or, or why we were even doing it. Right. But there was, like, this... There's, I mean, I, it's funny because... You hear today people talking about kids and like, oh, you're too young to have sex and you're too young to have these feelings. Uh, you're not too young to have feelings regarding like, sure, you know, to be sure. getting turned on. So, I mean, yeah. it just happens. It's like, but we weren't educated in the way that we should have been about it. So, I right. mean, there was no consequence. So, we never thought about it. And how, how do you think, and, I, and not to get on too much of a tangent because I want to cover a lot and, we're, yeah. you know, we, yeah. have, we have a lot to talk about because you've had a colorful life, but... Uh, but how do you think that experiences like that uh, sort of informed your sexuality as a as an as an older gay man? Oh, it messed me up. 
Oh yeah, there and was what, there was no I I was I was, there was nothing. We don't recommend it to those kids out there. There was nothing and nothing healthy about my sexual lifestyle as a child. Nothing like as a okay. as a teenager or anything because you know like I um am from a very small town so you had to work to get laid. It's not like you know there were a yeah. bunch of gay people. You know like it's not like I had a gay community when I was. Well, now and if you're also sort of. Uh, like having small towns in common, a lot of the experiences that one runs into in towns like that often are things you work straight for. guys. Yeah, straight you, guys who absolutely who need some sort of adoration or absolutely um, outlet. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I was a lot of experimental faces for a lot of young, a lot okay. of boys. Yeah. You were yeah. a lot of outlets. I was, was a, lot. a lot of outlets. <laughs> a lot of outlets with so few from inlets. the back. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, so I mean. There's something to be said about when you when you spend your youth working to get laid, you know, working like because it's not it's a grooming it probably process. Doesn't have um, a very affirming effect on our self esteem when no. that's the case. Because I mean, when we sort of feel as though there's just, always a negotiation yes. of sorts, there's not a purity of acceptance. It leads to being a 33 year old bachelor. That's what it leads to. There you go. Now, do you think that some of those experiences, though, were also informed by the fact that you admitted earlier that that um, you know you started exploring with drugs at a very early age too? So yeah. you have a history of, uh, of 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 several different substances. Yeah, I mean, drugs were um, available. They were, you know, I mean, I did, well, you know, the gateway is cigarettes. I'm going to start right there. Gateway is cigarettes. Stop using weed as a gateway. That's really irritating to me. Like, I started smoking Marlboro Reds at eighth grade. Uh-huh. Or no, no, younger than that. I started smoking Marlboro Reds because we went to, um, I went to fifth grade because it was at Webster School. I remember there was a pavilion outside of the school grounds where all the bad kids would sit and smoke. And uh, so I remember, because like, I took my first drag of a marble red and I didn't choke, and I was like really popular for one full day with all the bad kids. And I can vouch for this too. Having been a, a smoker, smoking a pack and a half of cigarettes a day, it's yeah. definitely the hardest thing to do. Yeah, it's because, you know, and then once that head buzz is gone from smoking cigarettes, then you're hooked, yeah. you know? Yeah. So then I moved on to marijuana, which has still been in my life to this day. Yeah, but I want to know about the job that you had at a roadside diner where the money you made was, was used to run to a nearby trailer park and use heroin. That's what I want to know about. Well, that was college. Thank you. <laughs> okay, all right. Thank you, Lucy. Um, I, me and my best friend uh, went to um, a college in Lincoln, Illinois. Okay. Um, which was 20 minutes from my hometown. And then we worked at a truck stop called Dixie Truck Stop. Where we were waitresses. What a great name. <laughs> waitresses. We were waitresses. At Dixie Truck we were, we were really, really bad waitresses at Dixie Truck Stop. <laughs> uh, and we, I remember we would, uh, we would work really, really hard, making our money at the truck stop. And then on the way back to Lincoln College is this really small town called Atlanta, Illinois, where we would go and we would pick up bags of heroin. 
And then we would go back to our dorm rooms and snort the bags of heroin and then sit and itch ourselves for like, you know, hours. I mean, but I think that's fascinating because, you know, a lot of people, that would be sort of the beginning of the end. Ooh, well, we did the heroin for about three months, but the, by that point, after three months, we were just like, we really like this. We should stop doing this because wow, I had had, fascinating. I had had a nice little addiction to cocaine prior to that. So, prior to yeah, exploring prior to heroin, that okay. yeah and then of course acid and ecstasy and all that prior to heroin heroin was a later and like you know I was 21 when I started doing heroin so and it had the kind of impact that it immediately informed you that this was no joke because like I could see I, I remember being like I could see why people would put needles in their arms and I was like I gotta stop right <laughs> like as soon as right. you have that frame of mind where it's uh, like oh I could see myself Tying off. See, and, yes, yes. Yeah. And for me, it was the it was the idea of shooting crystal that I knew if I ever shot it, I would not. Then that return. was a problem for right? me. I don't know that I could have returned. And see, and that's the thing too. Yeah. Like I always said, if it goes up my nose, I'm fine. Like she's like, she's like, but if I have to grab a hose, then mm-hmm. I'm not good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like. Uh, I never, I never fucked with needles. I only, okay. that's why my cartilage is so mushy up in my face. Okay. But now, so, but you're, you're a strong proponent of, of really great marijuana. Yes. You, uh, I, are I am a social drinker. I am a social drinker. Okay. And in, in complete contrast. <laughs> yes, I'm a social drinker. Being yes. completely four and a half years sober because I had to be, because I, I can't find that. That that okay line that okay. that you have a comfortability and just sort of I never like, fucked oh, with meth like that's the one thing I've right. I've done meth maybe twice in my life okay. and then I was like I don't like to be up that long you know it's like mm-hmm. I like to I don't want to always be up um, but there's so much to do true <laughs> <laughs> no. but I no. am I I I have to say the one thing I learned from messing with so many drugs is that. If it's within you, you can be a recreational drug user and it it not be a problem. I believe that because like, I mean, I think that I would consider myself, well, I'm a habitual weed smoker. That's true. But I mean, I'm a recreational drug user. Like, I mean, I'm not going to not like if if I'm out and about and it's there and who knows? I will. Maybe. But I now know that I will not wake up every morning and be like, oh, I need something, you know, or like every, every weekend night I'm like oh I gotta grab something and I think that's probably a very important thing for a lot of listeners to see if if, if, if you notice that it's within you Mm -hmm. that it's that it's one of those immediate go-tos that it is beginning to sort of inform you when you want to use it because it's not like I don't believe it probably is a sign you're not a naturally capable of recreational use right because I mean like the closest I ever got to like complete lack of control when it comes to drugs was cocaine because that Bitch is amazing. She <laughs> never lasted long enough for me. Uh, <laughs> and see, and 45 I, minutes and I, I have to do another bump? <laughs> what a waste. And, and it's more expensive. That's really funny because it, like, that's my thing too. Because I was like, that, that's what would keep me on coke. Because yeah. I'm like, oh, well, I can go to sleep on yeah. this. I can have yeah. a bender on. I can do like, you know, a three hour bender and then I can still pass out and go to sleep. I might have to take a Xanax or something, but I'll go to sleep. Uh, I, so one day we'll have to do a show about recreational use versus like staunch sobriety. Yeah. I would love to just pair off our stories together and see how that works. Sobriety scares me worse than anything. Worse than any high 
I mean, and like I'm, this is I'm clear-eyed. I've I have not smoked weed today yet at all because I wanted to be like clear-eyed for this interview. Yeah. But I'm like, so like this is the most sober you're gonna probably see me of a day ever. Because well, like as soon as this is over, I'll be I'll be like this before one, you know, yeah. like because like, but like the idea yeah. of being one hundred percent sober all the time, I don't know what it is. It terrifies me. Yeah, it terrifies me. And I'm not I don't I'm not saying that's a healthy way to think, but and I don't know why I think that way, but give me a shot of Jameson or something. You know what I mean? I need something. Yeah. Well, let's get let's get get back up to more current past. Yeah. Um, moving to Chicago, uh, a motivation of yours was to pour yourself into the world of, uh, of acting. I wanted to be an actor so bad. Uh, did that occur to you at an early age? Yeah, like, I, I remember, um, Mrs. Bethard in, uh, junior high school. Uh, she was a crazy bitch. She wasn't the first woman you had sex with. No. Okay. She was our choir teacher. Good. Uh-oh. And, and it was so funny. What I loved Awkward. about her is she was so eccentric. And she was just such a bad teacher because every time the kids acted up in her class, it was our parents' fault that we acted that way. And she would let us know that. Oh, good. And I was she'd be like, she's like, guys are all bad because your parents are bad parents. I remember <laughs> her saying this to me. And, I was just, and like that message should have like made me not like her but her craziness and her eccentricity i was like i really like you i think that you're interesting and then she like got me involved in musical theater okay and, and i did like musical theater stuff in junior high and then dn jones who was our my theater director in high school who was a huge advocate for for gays like she had so many gay friends like she took me to my first trip to new york and so it's like that was what molded me and i was in the school theater program i you know whenever i was sober enough to do something um and so then i went to lincoln college where i was in the theater program there and then as soon as i finished that i moved to chicago in hopes to pursue acting brilliant so that had been on your radar for for most of your life yeah and receiving the experience and education and influence to kind of do that but no one ever told me i was a bad actor Okay. Well, so where did the transition come from actor to Zandra Fairlawn? Well, I moved to London to try to be an actor briefly, and that's when they told me I wasn't good, which is always fun. Thank you, British people, for letting me know that I wasn't good. Uh, and that was a real fall from grace, because then I had to come back here. Uh, that was like in 2005, Lucy? Is that when I moved? 2004, 2005? Something like that, yeah. Um, so then I moved back, and... Uh, like... Well, Xander was born before that. Xander I started doing in 2003 because I worked at Roscoe's Tavern, uh, which is a bar here in Chicago. And they... If, if you guys don't know, Xandra Fairlawn is uh, Tommy Soto's drag name. Yes, it's my drag personality. And I, she was invented because they did this like um, charity thing called Boys to Women where all the employees of Roscoe's would dress in drag and perform... Um, and then all the money would go towards some kind of, um, I heard that click. Yeah. Start back over with, uh, introducing Zandra Farrell. Okay. No, but just to start from where I was saying, for those of you who may not know, Zandra, because we got all this stuff about mm-hmm. London. And... <laughs> oh, London. Going to London, that sounds like exotic. You've never been? Oh, I've never been to Japan. That's about it. Really? Mm-hmm. Let's say you've never been to Europe. Oh my god, I love it. 
so like, expensive though. It's so <clears throat> expensive. I mean, I haven't been back. <laughs> the last big trip we did was to Africa. I just do so I can. Well, not Africa. In Africa was very stressful. No, it was such a stressful trip. Like three days in Africa trying to like live it was really, really stressful. about you wanting to be an actor. I'll take it back. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Are you still recording? Good. Okay. <clears throat> so when did you make the transition from aspiring actor to Zandra Fairlawn? Zandra Fairlawn. Which some of you who may not know, this is Tony Soto's drag name. That Zandra. Tell us bitch. about Zandra. When was she born? Zandra was born, I believe, in 2003. Um, I've been working at Roscoe's Tavern, which is a gay bar here in town in Chicago. And they did this uh, charity thing called Boys to Women, where the male employees would dress in drag and perform, and all the money would go to some kind of charity. And so. So she was born then, and actually I just stumbled across some pictures of her uh, back then, and I probably destroyed them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not sure what, outside of that, I'm not sure what made, because like I did it for about three years, and then I put it away forever, and then when I launched the queue is when I actually um, brought Xandra back. Um, But drag has always been fascinating to me because I like the idea of um, changing like I'm a real fan of like movies with heavy makeup and stuff like that when you take some person and you turn them into something completely different right like that's always intrigued me and so then um, I was like well and I'm a big old queen anyway I might as well put a dress on and try that try that out so now Xandra has taken a She's taking a seat, like, right next to me. She works She works almost as much as I do. It seems yeah, she like. seems like it's. she's moved right up to the forefront of a lot of your creative endeavors as well. Yeah. What are you getting out of that experience that perhaps, uh, you know, those of us who, who uh, first was introduced to you through the queue, what does that offer you that the queue did not? Applause and love. I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm like Tinkerbell. If you know, what part of you to get to express? Yeah, well, I think the thing is, it's like, it's like, people we do we do drag drag queens do drag because it's like no matter how busted you are like someone's gonna be like oh i love you you're so you're so great you know and it's like i mean when it comes down to it i'm a narcissist and i like it when people give me attention so it's like (laughs) another venue another outlet for that why not why not as i've gotten to know you I, i find it so refreshing that you seem to be so um what, is it self-effacing, self-evasive? So, or how, I'm trying to say, just self-aware in the fact that you're not afraid to readily uh, ed, uh, let, let it all hang out. Right. You know, just the simple fact that you would also say, you know, hey, look, it's nothing deeper right now than the fact that I'm a big, fat narcissist and I love the attention. I've always loved the fact that you have shown up so much more authentically than a lot of people in entertainment do. And it brought me to a lot of... Um, well, a lot of quotes that I would love to ask to ask you about. What quotes? I, yeah, I found, finally. <laughs> well, because you had, you've had a um, you've had an influence on our community here in Chicago, and oh, and you've you. had a lot of things thank to you. say. I mean, I hope that's true about thank it. Thank you. 
And I really like to start with a comment that um, I heard from an interview. Uh, you were uh, responding to um, When in Boys Town ah, blog. The Tumblr blog, yeah. Yes, and um, I thought that this was so refreshingly honest because I think that in this quote, um, I can find myself in, in, in this quote, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of us, if we were being honest with ourselves, can find ourselves in, in, in this quote as well. You said... I am from the gay community. I am a racist. I am homophobic. I am fat phobic. I am transphobic. I am all those things that the queer community hates. But the difference is, I am changing this. So, are you proof that people can change? What has that experience been for you? I mean, I hope that I'm proof that people can change. That's, I mean, I remember saying that. I said that right here, actually, right here. And Lucy was right there when I said it. Um, And I say it from the spirit of the simple fact is I think that all of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, could probably say that as well. Yeah, I think that, you know, I I I think that what it comes down to is that the the life that I've lived before, and, and, you know, I really attribute my changing and my like in opening my mind to when I founded the Q with, with Joey, uh, Joey Grant, who was my business partner. Right. Um, I was, all, or, I mean, I, uh, I can't say was because I mean, I still have those moments, but I'm like, I am all those things and I have been all those things really, really blatantly, like really loudly. Sure. And like, I mean, <clears throat> Whereas most people do it privately. Right, right. And so it's like, my thing is, is if, if you really, really want to change, and if you really, really feel like how you've lived your life hasn't been really up to snuff, sure, then you have to be able to say the truth. And like, because I've said a lot of those awful things, because I had a, I had a show on the internet briefly called knee deep in a bottle where me and my girlfriend Darcy would get really drunk and answer advice questions. Um, but I said a lot of really problematic things on there and that's on the internet and that's out there. And so it's like, there's no taking that back. It's like, I remember when someone told me words are like when you squeeze toothpaste out of a bottle, you can't put the toothpaste back in the bottle. Mm -hmm. Everything that I have said is out there. Right. Yeah. So why start lying about it now? Right. Why not just say, that was me then, but that is not necessarily me now. Well, and there's an experience that, um, that I heard about as far as being Xena that might have been a, a, um, a point of change for you. <laughs> Wait, Would is you this, like to take is this, this how, into... I'm trying to think about this. Is this the Joey's my, uh, my Gabrielle? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, Leave I'm, it to a lesbian. Leave it to, to my know. best friend, who is a lesbian, <laughs> to put me in with Zena. Well, yeah, because Zena went around and she did a bunch of bad things. She killed a bunch of people. She like she destroyed a bunch of people's lives and people's existence. And and uh, and then then she meets Gabrielle, who made her want to be a better person. And that and person was Joey. That for you. was that was Joey. I mean, I think that hi Joey. Hi, Joey. I mean, I think that because I knew Joey before uh, Joey 
had his life changed too. You know, like I mean, I met I met oh, I don't know if I should say I mean I mean I met Joey uh, over a plate of cocaine. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, um, and I loved him then. It's okay, Joey. Well, we all have. <laughs> and I loved him then. You know. Yeah. And then I watched him start to change and watch him start to grow. And he had had a magazine called Mint Male Magazine that he that catered to gay men. And then he was like kind of getting over that and done with that. And he and I started hanging out more. And I said, well, why don't we, why don't we revamp the website? Why don't we make a site that caters to queer artists and mm-hmm. gives them a voice and showcases them? And so, and then that's when it all started. And then that followed into opening my eyes to the whole queer community that I do keep separate from the gay community because I think there is a separation there. I wish it didn't exist. I right. wish that wasn't the case, but but there is. And so that that like opened the doors for me meeting a bunch of really, really awesome trans folks that mm-hmm. I never even thought I would give a shit about, you know? Right. It, right. It, it also like introduced me to a lot of people who don't fit within, you know, the the society's norms of what is acceptable for body types, you know, which right. I mean, I was, I mean, I've had weight issues my entire life and my father like really hated fat people still does. And so like that was instilled in my brain. And so like, that's something that I've had to rise up and change. You know, uh, we were raised to be very racist against Mexico or against Puerto Ricans and against black people. And, you know, it's like, um, but then I met a bunch of really great queer people of color that I'm like, oh, I really like my, yeah. my bet. One of my best girlfriends is Shea Coulee, who is, you know, a great drag queen here in the city. And she's just black as night. Love you. Yeah. And so, and like that's, and like I have a really great relationship with her. And so I feel like, I feel like a good part of my life, I was living with, you know, blinders on that just like looked forward and that's mm-hmm. it. And of what, I wanted to see and not mm-hmm. what was around me. Right. And so now I'm more open to looking around me and seeing things. And see, I think that that's what's so fascinating about <clears throat> getting to know you is because I think the truth were known, a lot of people would be able to say that we've come from that place where, you know, being, being from the South, we're growing up with blinders and hearing certain sides of my family say certain things that may mm-hmm. or may not necessarily be what I now know to be a an example of tolerance and equality and diversity, et cetera, et cetera. It's so and much... the fact that you're saying it yeah. and putting it out there is is like ballsy it's... and commendable. And and it also I think fuels your passion for our community. I want to ask you about this quote yeah. because this is going to help explain uh, probably to some of our our, our viewers and yeah. to me as well. Um, something that you referred to uh, earlier as far as what queer versus gay. Um, in this quote, you say, nothing is going to change if all we do in the queer community is talk shit about the gay community. We have to have a dialogue. Okay, so first of all, what is the distinction between the gay community and the queer community? And uh, what certain things are on your mind as far as what we need to have a dialogue about? I think it's so much easier to be ignorant than it is to actually be informed. And I think that uh, a lot of, like, I'm going to use Chicago as the example because that's okay. where I've been majority of my life. But if you look at the gays in Boys Town, you know, the gay community in Boys Town is all about appearances, it's all about um, status, and uh, it's, it's who's pretty, who's fit, you know, 
who can get you in past the line at Roscoe's? It's WeHo. Who does it? It's West Hollywood. It's West Hollywood. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah. it's like, what am I wearing? Like who, you know, like, sure. Like who's got the most money? Who can afford this? Uh, who can, you know, um, whereas the queer community are a bunch of like, uh, ragtag artists who are still finding themselves and like still trying to create their voice and like they're, they're pushing the envelope and they're pushing their limits and they're, they're expressing themselves in ways that are considered weird to other people. Um, which, when I, when I first started this journey, I was like, oh my god, this is a breath of fresh air. All of these really open-minded queer people. They're so open-minded and so accepting of everyone. Oh, except for the Lakeview gays. Oh, okay. you don't like them. Oh, okay. It's like... It's like... Um, the the socias and the greasers or is that is that right greasers from outsiders yeah, yeah. so it's like yeah it's like they're from the same town but they all hate each other right. it's like um so I was just like when that whole uh, when in Boys Town thing happened it was like I saw because it, it was the problematic shit that was being posted from someone who obviously is from the Lakeview area or or frequents that area a lot. Um, that came out against the trans uh, folks and the and the the homeless youth and all that stuff that hangs around the town, um, and I saw that as being problematic. But then I saw, instead of like, and then I go to the queer community instead of like you know trying to sit down and like inform these people why their views are incorrect about the homeless youth that hangs out in Lakeview and like yeah. are just trying to stay safe themselves. Yeah. They just came for them and their white privilege and their, you know, their, their, their bigots and all this. And I was like, well, that's not, that's not opening up any kind of a dialogue. Right. If you're going to tell me that I'm wrong and I suck and I do this, I'm done listening to you. You know, that's not how people can. I mean, look, we are in the government shutdown right now because no one fucking wants to talk to each other. Yeah. And the, but they want to say, oh, we're up to talking. Oh, we're here to talk. We want to have a conversation. No, no. We want to stay in our own little comfortable bubbles and think that, oh, we're so progressive and we're so open-minded. But we want to stay in those bubbles and talk shit about people in other bubbles. Yeah. We're okay with it until it gets out. Yeah. Until it gets yeah. into, yeah. Absolutely. And there's, and my thing is, is if these two bubbles would connect, and because like, and this is what I say mostly, because, you know, I remember a, a friend of mine was saying, I don't like to go to Boys Town because I'm fat. And whenever I go to Boys Town, everyone um, will talk behind my back and call me Ooh. fat. And I'm like, I get that and I understand that that's painful. Bring more of your fat friends with you. Fill the bars with fat people. It's the only way it's going to, that's the only way anything's going to, right. you, you, oh, uh, people are transphobic. Bring more trans people into the bars. Yeah. Bring them in. Yeah. You know, bring them in. Like, bring more people. Because the only way things are going to, I, I, what I found was it wasn't until I was uncomfortable because of how much of it was around me that I actually took the time to say, why am I so uncomfortable about this? Yeah. Like this seems, I mean, there are so many people here. It's obvious that it's not like that small of a community. I'm being ridiculous being, you know, insecure and yeah. not feeling comfortable here. It's me. And I think that I hope that that is how people will change their minds too. Cause like, right. it, it, I mean, it, it wasn't until 
you know, like in the South when they did all during uh, the civil rights movement, like it wasn't until they all all the black folks started yeah. walking, right, that people realized they needed them to ride the bus. And this is something we know as a community because if you look back on our LGBT history, it was that very act of integration, Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes forced integration. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we had to decide that we were going to be the integration regardless of what kind of confrontation we came Well, and I also feel like the gay community um, feels like their fight's over, which... I absolutely... Which really, really irritates me about them, too. Because, like, in our comfortability, it's we're fine now to create division amongst ourselves. Now we're turning into the bullies. Which brings me to this really great quote that I heard you say. Great quote. You said, I don't think Dan Savage has it right. Mm -hmm. I don't think it gets better. I think a lot of the time the gay community becomes the bullies once they leave their school scenario. That's why we're so catty and say such shitty things. Uh, Yeah. Can you explain that a little further? I mean, the thing is, is like, I was bullied when I was when I was growing up um and then that made me escape to a mecca of gay people Mm -hmm. so now I'm in Lakeview and I'm surrounded by all these gay people that are just like me uh and so everything's fine for me now Mm -hmm. oh but then all of a sudden I see all these you know these black trans people that are coming into my community like oh you're not you're not a part of this. Yeah. Like, what are you doing here? Right, like, right. you're not a part of it. Oh, we don't like you. Uh, so then we're going to start talking shit about them. Yeah. And it's like, we forget our struggle because, like, that's the one thing, especially, like, any, like, big urban city like New York, Chicago, L.A., it's a lot of small town gays that ran away yeah. from where they were from. Absolutely. To go someplace bigger for yeah. something better. Mm-hmm. We got our something better. Fuck everyone else. And I think we forget oftentimes we're not, we're still bringing our pathology with us. What we learned from our past. Oh, yeah. And recreating it. I love I love that word pathology. Iyala Van Zandt uses it a lot. <laughs> to basically say that how we were treated is how we oftentimes, if we do not make a conscious decision to be otherwise, treat each other. Right. Which is exactly what you're talking right. about. Right. And so, and that's, that's the big thing. It's like, it doesn't get better because... I mean, it, it might get better for us, yeah. But that's as far as a lot of our mentality goes. Yeah, us. Yeah, us. And that once I'm better, as long as I'm okay, as long yeah. as I've been holding hands down yeah. by one street in yeah. the metropolitan Absolutely. area, screw what. As long the, as I have my condo, yeah, you know, on Halstead, real close to sidetrack, so I can go and have a drink. Compared to what people in Knoxville, yeah. Tennessee are dealing with, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. or even you know that poor homeless uh, black person who is coming here because he might be beaten up in his own neighborhood or murdered in his own neighborhood, and he needs to feel safe. Yeah, you know, and that and that's that's the thing yeah. that. Yeah. So taking all these really great uh, spotlights that you have put on our community through the queue, mm-hmm. um, now you're shifting focus to yes. the Tony Soto show. Yeah. Um, what can we sort of expect from this new creative outlet for you, from you? Well, I have opinions. No. <laughs> I have kidding. opinions. No, and not, I t- want, not, not Tony Soto. And I think that people should hear my opinions. Um, Are we going to see more of Zandra? Xandra is, well, it's funny. I'm trying to currently work out something with, um, with her. Is she with difficult her. to She's negotiate so with? Difficult. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, we're trying to figure out a, a, something that we can do for her. Like we're thinking maybe giving her like a little outlet for like 
current events in pop culture, like giving her a little segment where she can talk about things that really like gets on her nerves or things that she likes. But so we're working on that. We're talking about that. Cute. But I mean, ultimately, it's gonna be uh, me talking about things that I find interesting. You know, from like um, from like politics to uh, pop culture to uh, you know LGBT issues, as well as like. Uh, I, you know, we're going to do an episode about the sex industry. We're going to do episodes about drag queens. We're going to do episodes about, like, modern families and all kinds of yeah. things. So, I mean... I'm, I think I'm hearing you say, though, that it's going to, to be a little broader than just always being queer-centric. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's Although, like, you know, it's still my goal to give uh, queer people a, a, a pedestal and something, like, a platform that they can speak on. Mm-hmm. I also know that there are really, really great people out there that aren't. LGBTQ that are still doing great things that I still want to know about and that I want to talk about. So it's okay. like, uh, although I'm not losing my queer focus, because I mean, I'm still queer, it's that I won't always be covering queer issues because I think that in order for us all to live cohesively, we all have to talk about each other's issues. And like, I love hearing queer people talk about queer things, but I'd love to hear about queer people talk about not queer things too. And I think that that's a way that we can learn a little more too rather yeah. than just staying in Absolutely. our own bubble. Absolutely. And that's well, what it's about. Breaking the bubbles. Get out of that bubble. So I, I love that uh, you had me here to do the, uh, the premiere oh, with the Tony Soto show. I have one more um, little section that I want to throw you though. And um, these are really quick quotes of yours and you have like two sentences to respond to them very quickly. Okay. I happen to be fond of the first one because being a... Uh, a redneck from you know from small town Tennessee I am very comfortable with rednecks I am very comfortable with rednecks I came here to be an actor I ended up as a drag queen yeah that's the dream right right I am an atheist I yeah forget that all that Jesus stuff is nonsense I have never had a boyfriend. I have never had a boyfriend. I know what is that? Oh uh, well, I mean, like I said, it's like when you have to work that hard to get laid, and then like when you're growing up, I don't know what it is. I don't think I was. I don't, I don't think I was taught the right values to have a boyfriend. Also, I think I'm a really jealous person, and no one wants that. I'm afraid of gingers and little Asians. I mean, Ginger, there's something about that red hair and the freckles and the white skin that just doesn't really go well with me. And Asians, I'm very tall. So when you're stuck in a sea of them and they're all pointing up and snapping fingers to cameras, I just feel like Godzilla. And lastly, I'm a sperm donor. I am. I'm going to be a daddy in January. I uh, donated. Well, congratulations. Thank you. That's well, awesome. I don't have to raise it, so congratulations <laughs> to them. Yes, I will. Uh, I have uh, some lesbians. They will be having... Uh, a daughter in January with half of my genetic makeup. Fantastic. <laughs> thank you. Well, let me thank you for letting me spend some time Wait, thank with you, you so on your much. premiere episode. I know my premiere episode of the Tony Soto show. Thank you so much for like doing this. This was actually a lot of fun. I should be my interviewed pleasure. a lot more. My pleasure. I should be in it. Um, but there is so much that's going to be coming on the Tony Soto show. Please, please, please watch. It's going to be so great. And, um, I want to give it up for Levi Christ again, and you should get his new album, Imagine Paradise, uh, available on iTunes. Yeah. Yeah, you should totally get it. It's so great. Uh, thank you so much again. You are very You're welcome. You're wonderful. All right. Bye, everybody. Yay! Wow. Is that everything you wanted? Yeah, I mean, I was so...